Please be seated, and as you are seated, turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. We've been working through uh, Genesis verse by verse, chapter by chapter, starting in, uh, in this current series, starting in Genesis 12, and now we hit a pretty monumental point as we hit Genesis 21, something we've been waiting for for a long time is going to happen. It's going to happen today as we read our passage this morning. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 21, 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, pick up a Bible. We have on the back wall, we have a table there, a book table, and please pick up a Bible, follow along as we work through our text today. All right, Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born of him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac circumcised his son, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then the Lord opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we're thankful. We're thankful that you have given us a word. Thankful that you've not led us to live on our own. But Father, you've loved us to speak and to show your promises to show your care, to show your awareness, show your presence. And so, Father, as we look at this passage, encourage us to see um, where you're present, but also help us to see the life of faith that you call us to. Father, we may be those who stand boldly on your promises. 
others strengthen and encourage in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we spend a lot of our lives waiting, don't we? We spend a lot of our lives waiting. In fact, I hear that we spend 52 days of our lives waiting in some line or some other fashion. And I imagine that some of you who drive to D.C. of 95 would add to that 52, maybe another 52 days of your life, and probably feels like you added 52 years to your life from all the driving up there. I remember a trip to Disney World uh, that we took once, and I remember waiting in three-hour lines to go to on one certain line. Uh, those weren't the longest ones. I've heard of people waiting seven hours or even longer for something like that, waiting for a long time. I read of some of the longest lines that were in history. Uh, one of the longest lines was um, in the Soviet Union in 1990 when McDonald's planted and started their first restaurant. The communists had blocked any sort of um, capitalistic enterprise like McDonald's from coming in. And, and finally, in 1990, they, they allowed the first one in. And, and people were so enthusiastic to come. They anticipated that maybe there'd be 1,000 people who showed up for, for food there. And by the end of the day, they'd served over 30,000 people who showed up. There were so many people there hungry for McDonald's or whatever, that, that the line uh, stretched eight hours. So it took eight hours to get from the back of the line to the front of the line. As I said in the first service, when they got their meal, I bet it was definitely a happy meal. <laughs> you would be happy after finally getting to the front of that line. Well, we also recently uh, experienced the death of Queen Elizabeth II. I hear that people even waited as long as 24 hours to pay their respects to her. And loving tribute to her. You know, long lines, long times of wait, but so little in comparison with the wait that we see finished in Genesis 21 with the arrival of Isaac to um, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, we have been talking about this for a long time. In fact, since the beginning of this current series, I break up Genesis into three different series, so we're in our second one. But all the way back in Genesis 11, verse 30, we saw that Sarah could not have children. And it's kind of been this, this cloud which hangs over the rest of the narrative as, as it goes through the, the sojourning of Abraham and Sarah into the promised land and through it. I mean, since then, we have together gone through nine chapters of the Bible. We've covered 217 verses, and uh, I've preached 14 sermons over five months. So here we are. Now, again, whatever wait we've had is far longer in the perspective of Abraham and Sarah. For them, it's been 30 years since they began this journey. Thousands of miles of travel, experienced um, many threats to the promise of God for their lives, and yet God has pulled them through. God has sustained them through this, and he's renewed Abraham in his promises, and he's renewed also Abraham for his promise. And so for any of us who go through long periods of waiting, we wonder about God's promises, we're reminded of the long trial of which Abraham and Sarah did. It's not strange, it's not new for uh, believers to go through long periods of waiting, whether it's for children, whether it's for uh, sickness, whether it's just waiting for the glories of heaven. We do go through long times of waiting, looking forward to God's promise. And we know that God's promise is secure. Isaac was called the son of promise. He was called that 
God had promised him, uh, maybe called the son of promise, uh, because there was no natural way that this baby could be born. Right? We see, if you look at verse 5, that Abraham was 100 years old. His wife would have been 90 years old. This was a supernatural event of the birth of this child, a special providence. There's also the promised child because it was promised of something that was in the future, something they had to wait for and anticipate. It's not like they didn't become impatient either. 13 years before this, before the arrival of Isaac, uh, they had grown impatient. And Abraham and Sarah concocted a plan where they would have a child through Hagar, uh, one of her slaves. And uh, that would be sort of a surrogate motherhood, I guess, something like that. But creating their own way to fulfill God's promises. And so Abraham had a son, Ishmael, uh, with Hagar, the slave, and the arrival of Isaac created some conflict, which we see in the passage today. Now, the account of Isaac's birth is an important reminder for us about the promises of God. It's a reminder of the way that God fulfills his promises. Even when it seems long, even when we become impatient, we're reminded of the way that God answers his promises. But ultimately, it gives a bigger picture of two different ways to live. Two different ways to live. We can live according to God's promises, or we could live according to the works of our own flesh, the efforts of our own accomplishments to secure God's favor. Two ways to live. And we do see that in the lives of, of Isaac and Ishmael. And really, it really comes together in the New Testament as it draws a, a, an application in looking at their lives. So the first thing we want to do in, in looking as, as we look to how, we, how do we live as heirs of God's promise, we want to look at the first one, um, Isaac, the one who was born according to God's promise. And so that's the first way to live is to live according to God's promise. In verses 1 and 2, we see the fulfillment of, of God's promise to Sarah and Abraham. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. You know, something which we've been waiting for so long, it's just so simply stated, is that she became pregnant and she had a child. But, you know, with so much that's into it, you know, we are reminded of the special providence of God in doing this. The miracle showing us that nothing is impossible for God. Now, we might ask why God waited for so long to, to do this. You know, why? Why 30 years? Why did it take 30 years? And, it, and, and that's a question we might ask um, of ourselves. You know, why, you know, why doesn't God answer my prayers? You know, why, am, why do I have to suffer so long in this? Why am I waiting for God to address this? Why, why does heaven seem so distant away? Uh, you know, why? Now, as far as Abraham and Sarah go, we don't know why. He doesn't tell us exactly why. But, you know, we do see God doing a few things in their lives during this time. You know, we see God uh, showing, first of all, that he is a supernatural, wonder-working God. Right? The miracle of this birth is just one in many supernatural works that God does. Somebody asked me once, do you really believe that a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old couple would have a baby? And I said to this person, I said, you know what, I believe far more fantastic things than this. This is one of the easier ones because I believe that a man was crucified, dead, put in a tomb, and rose again to life three days later. And that's shown in evidence of that actually happening in history. You know, God is a wonder-working God, and Sarah and Abraham had a front-row seat to that in the arrival of Isaac. 
We also see God preparing Abraham for the gift that he was going to receive. You know, it's so true that we tend to appreciate things we have to wait longer for. In over 30 years of waiting, God made certain covenants for Abraham to walk in. He corrected Abraham when Abraham would go astray. And he gave Abraham a ministry to the nations um, to testify to the, that, that the Lord is the true God. To pray for the lost. He increases wealth. Right? God prepared Abraham for the gift that he was going to receive through many years. The third thing we see is that God used Abraham as a blessing to the nations before he would bless him with a son. And I especially say this as we look at verse 20, or ch- chapter 20, how Abraham was a blessing to the nations before God blessed him with the fulfillment of this promise. If you remember what we talked about last week, or if you look back at the last two verses of chapter 20, you see Abraham praying for Abimelech and for his nation. The women of the nation, for a certain reason, hadn't been able to have children. And so Abraham is called to pray for Abimelech and, and this nation. And when he prays, what happens? But um, all of a sudden, they're able to have children again. And the very next verse, chapter 21, verse 1, what do we see happen? But Sarah herself um, having a child, conceiving and having a child. It's a great reminder to us that oftentimes our own enjoyment of the salvation we have and the covenant promises we have with God, our own enjoyment with them comes after ministering to others. You know, sometimes I've seen people who have been in great depression, great times of discouragement. And, you know, when they open up, they say, you know what, I want to get out of this. The best thing I know to do is I want to go, I want to go serve somewhere. I want to go do something to help somebody else. I want to go visit somebody who's in need. I want to go pray for another person, commit to praying for them. How oftentimes does God work uh, through that to show them what they have in Jesus Christ, the promises that they've been given, and that they can find um, hope for themselves even in ministering to other people. Abraham prayed for Abimelech and his nation and then for God to open their wombs. And the next verse we see God doing it in his own life. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Uh, verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. This is a place of obedience. Don't you see in, the next, in this verse, the next verse, Abraham obeying God. God told him the name that he was to give him. Have you ever looked up funny baby names? There are, there are crazy baby names that are out there. Um, one of, two of them that I saw this morning was one that was called Arson. Not Carson, but Arson. My kids like to light fires, but... That's a little dangerous to name. And another one called carrion, as in bird, you know, dead, dead animals on the street. You know, so, you know, but he didn't have the freedom to willy-nilly choose any name that he had. It's, God gave him a name, and he named him Isaac. And it has a meaning um, as the one who laughs. But the second thing we see in verse 4, um, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. The second way that God obeyed, uh, that Abraham obeyed the Lord, was to circumcise his son. He showed him that he was part of the covenant. He did as the Lord instructed him. And so Isaac was part of God's covenant people, and he was called to walk blamelessly by faith before the Lord. It's a good reminder to us that in times of blessing that we can face our own temptations. We can find our own, uh, we forget 
the great promises of God, that every good and perfect gift comes from him, and we forget the simple acts of obedience that we're called to do, even when God blesses of times of plenty. Here you have Abraham in a time of plenty, and he continues to obey. Looking at verse 6 and 7, we see the, the joy of Sarah Verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah didn't have Facebook or Instagram, but you can imagine that if she did, she would have been posting pictures of her little baby on Facebook or Instagram. And it wasn't just the joy of having a baby. It was the release of some sort of social stigma and something which she had desperately wanted for herself to provide the Lord and for her husband. I mean, it is the answer for her over long-term grief, the social shame, the sense of failure of not being able to have a child. She hadn't done anything wrong, but that doesn't always make us feel better when things aren't working out. And here you have her joy so evidently bleeding through the pages as we, as we read this. And the name Isaac means one who laughs. And God's promise has given her reason to laugh. And others are going to rejoice with her. They're going to rejoice with her that God has provided a child, a baby, even in her age, even when it seems so impossible. Just a great reminder to us of the infectiousness of joy. The things we rejoice over, others will tend to rejoice over with us. I mean, it's one of the most powerful ways of evangelism, one of the most simple ways of evangelism, is, is talking about the joy that we have in heaven and what's to come. The joy that we have in knowing our sins are forgiven. The joy that we have to know we're part of a church and to, to uh, share that with others. There's an infectiousness with it, and you see it in Sarah's own words. Now, as we look to, to verses 8 and on, though, we see a bit of a, a transition a bit of a transition as, the, as, as a problem occurs. And isn't that often what happens along with great blessing can come great difficulties. And they have a trial and, and, and an issue they have to deal with. But it also points to what we're going to talk about, the second way of living. We've seen the first way in, in living and responding to God's promises. But we also see, secondly, the living and working according to the works of the flesh. We see this especially in verses 8 through 21 when we look at Ishmael and his response. We also see God's wonderful commitment to his promise and his commitment of love, right? So there's a second way of, live, of living, the works, living according to the works of the flesh. Look at verse 8. And the child, that's Isaac, grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. You know, this is a significant event that we see here in verse 8. You know, with infant mortality as it was, it was a celebration that um, not only um, had God um, preserved the life of, of Sarah and also of Isaac to this point, but we also see that God is committed to his promise through Isaac. Uh, God was going to establish his promises. But if you look at verse 7 or verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, that's um, Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now, she said that others were going to laugh with her, right? But in this case, you see um, Ishmael, um, this 16-year-old boy, laughing at her, and especially at her son. It isn't a happy time for everyone. Ishmael, as knows, realizes at this point that he is not the heir, he is not the child of promise, um, and 
there's a resentfulness that's there. And instead of coming under the promises of God or living alongside with them and knowing the blessing of them, he, he fights against it, ridicules it. You know, it's, it's a picture of, of what others, um, you know, outside of the covenant blessings of God, outside the promise of God, outside the church, will often ridicule those who are inside, ridicule them for, their, for their, um, the hope that they have in heaven, for the confidence in, in the forgiveness of sins, in the efforts to live uh, blamelessly before the Lord. You know, there may be active ridicule that happens. We see it. We see it in our world every day. There may be persecution that happens with it. We see this in the life of of Ishmael. Oftentimes it's because a person outside the promise of God won't look at their own life, won't do the work of self-examination and repentance, just realizing it's easier to look at those who want to walk with God and to, to ridicule them instead of realizing that I need to change my life. Maybe I need, maybe I'll one day stand before the Lord. Maybe I need to work in repentance and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Instead of trying to find their place in the blessing of God, they reject what others have. So we ought not to be surprised. We see it here in the life of Ishmael with Isaac. But yet we see God's commitment to his covenant promises. Look at verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Sarah has a great sense of the covenant promises which were given to, um, to Isaac. And here you have Ishmael setting himself up against that. And she's, she's jealous to the promises of God which have been given to him. Verse 11, and the thing was displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. As any father with his son is, loves his son. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God reiterates again his commitment to his promise. He looks at Sarah's um, counsel to him and says, you know, this is the thing that you should do. You know, Isaac, his son, isn't going to have, you know, Abraham's not allowed to set up some sort of competition between the two. We see, if you look in the previous chapters, the favor that he continues to give Ishmael. And if we look ahead to the next chapter, God is going to call um, Abraham to sacrifice his own son, which immersively uh, prevents that from happening. But, you know, it's a reminder to Abraham that there is no plan B. There is no fallback plan for him. All the promises, all the hope is vested up here in his son, Isaac. Where was I? Verse 13, we see that promise which is given even to Ishmael, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. There's a a, a hope because of the covenant promises given to Abraham that those spill over, and even Ishmael would enjoy some of the blessings of that covenant. Eventually someday, in the arrival of Jesus Christ, that the nations would be saved, even the children. Of Ishmael. So verse 14, so Abraham rose early the next morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It's a reminder to us that God's people are established on promise, not based on birth order, not based on anything in us, but based upon the promises of God and trusting the promises of God. 
Now, we've already seen some of the pride of Ishmael and his, his mother, but you see how that pride and often the works of the flesh so quickly they can turn to despair when we sense that God is far from us and life becomes hard. Verse 15, when the water and the skin was gone, Hagar put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down the opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shop, for she said, let me not look at the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and she wept. You know, that's a common thing which happens when we depend on the works of the flesh. We depend on what we do. When we rise up in pride, it can often swing also into despair. Right? It's an important consideration as we think about living by God's grace. Not our background, not our performance. Because at one point, proud. The oldest son, at the next sense, despairing. But God shows that he still knows, he still cares. Look at verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Indeed, as the child of Abraham, he would enjoy some of these blessings that have come upon Abraham. Even he would become a great nation someday. God is going to provide for them. And he does. Verse 19, God opens her eyes. She saw a well of water. Not a new well of water. It was something that was already there. Isn't it so often that when we uh, become so discouraged, so despairing, that our, that our kind of blinders go on and we fail to see the provision that God has already made for us? But God in his mercy, God in his love, opens our eyes to see, look, right here, right before you, there's a well of water. There's no reason for you to die here in the wilderness. He's already provided. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God provided for them other ways. God was with the boy. He grew up. He lived in the wilderness, became expert with a bow, develops a skill set, which he's known, renowned for. Um, the world around them in verse 21, and provides him a wife. Right? God has provided, and he did provide for them. Well, as I said uh, before, that you know, this is a picture of two ways to live. And so we have uh, Isaac, child of promise, living by promise. We have Ishmael living according to the work of the flesh. Why do I say that? I say that because that's how the New Testament talks about it. So turn your Bible over to Galatians, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. And what we see in Galatians chapter 4 is an extended um, look at the story of Isaac and Ishmael. And it, it's, it's, this account is considered so that we can better understand our faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean, these two ways to live? And, and how do we live as people who live according to promise? You can see the setup of the question in Galatians 4.21, when they say, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, just really quick, a brief summary of where they are in this letter here, um, that they're ultimately, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, is answering a question. How is a person made right with God? How does a person have their sins forgiven? How does a person have eternal life and go to heaven? And in this case, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatian church when they're facing a temptation. And that temptation is to add, to add something to faith in Christ and to add in the, the ceremonial ritual of circumcision. And adding in to say, for, for them to believe, as some people are telling them, in order to be saved, you have to also go through circumcision. So it's adding something. 
His grace plus something is what it takes in order to be saved, in order to have eternal life. So that's the big question is whether we get God's approval by being a good person, getting all the check marks, by being very religious, going through the right ceremonies, you know, or is it something else? And how can we be sure that we're saved and that we're going to heaven? And if you look at verse 22 then, he brings um, Isaac and Ishmael in. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by uh, uh, a free woman, as she introduces them through their mothers. Verse 23, then it reminds us the difference between these two sons. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So, of course, Ishmael, born natural um, at a time when they were doubting the promises of God. But the birth of Isaac happened by God's providential hand, by miracle, and happened in response to trusting God. So how is this relevant? It's relevant because it's an analogy to the way that we live our Christian faith now. Look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she was in slavery with her children. So what, what happened on Mount Sinai? If you know your history from the book of Exodus. That's where Moses went up to the top of that mountain. He received the Ten Commandments. He received the law, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law of, of God to, to his people. And so as he, the Apostle Paul points this, he's comparing the birth of Ishmael with this law that was given to Moses there. In other words, there is a way to live or to try to live where you try to be a good enough person so that God will accept you. You think it comes by being moral enough? Or you think it comes by being a good enough person? Or by religious enough, going through the right rituals? And that if just you do those things, well, then God will accept you. Then you'll live. But you notice what this passage says about that. It calls it slavery. It calls it slavery. It's not part of the promise of God. Why is it slavery? Well, it's not God's way of salvation. We cannot fulfill this, uh, this, this law perfectly. The Bible says the law was given to us so that we would see our sin, not that we would hope to get saved through it, but that we'd see our sin and we'd look for a Savior to come out of it. I mean, if you think about slavery, slavery um, is the condition where a slave is always working but never is receiving any benefit from the work that they do. And it's the same thing with those who try to earn God's acceptance by the things they do, by their good works, the works of the flesh. They always try, but they never measure up. They have no joy of assurance. They have no confidence that they're going to heaven. And they find that they have to keep on working harder and harder. And still, it's always so elusive. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you're worn out trying to get God's acceptance. Maybe you, you think that it depends on you doing all the right things. Thing that if, just you were, if you're a real Christian, well, then you do this and you do that and, and you just find that you're not able to do it. And it's a hard way to live. And we don't want that. You know, we want to be free. And there is good news. 
You know, there is a way to be free, and we see that as we look at verses 26 and 27. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. You know, who wants to feel like they're messing up? Who wants to wonder if they're ever going to go to heaven? Who wants to feel like they're always under God's displeasure? No, we want to be free. And God's desire is for his people to live in the freedom of his grace. That's why we see in verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Children of promise. Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? What he's saying here is that then you're like Isaac. You're a child of promise. And why is that? Because Jesus Christ himself, he is the true son of promise. As you're united to him by faith, you also become a child of God's promise. He's showing that you didn't become a Christian because you made your own way to salvation. You didn't find salvation because you're so smart or you're such a good person. No, you become a Christian when God brings you into his promise. Jesus Christ is the true son of promise. And so the promises of God, they come through faith. They come through faith in Jesus Christ as he has perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He did everything required in the moral law of God. He fulfilled all the Ten Commandments when we couldn't. He fulfilled all the ceremonial law through his death on the cross, fulfilling all righteousness. He's the true son of promise. And God's promise to you is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will forgive your sins Accepting you as righteous, bringing you into heaven. That's because Jesus Christ is the true son of promise. There's an illustration um, that I heard long ago, and it compares religion with, um, that works righteousness with the Christian faith. And this idea of works righteousness or, you know, religiously trying to earn my salvation, it says religion is spelled D-O. I know that's bad spelling, but it's spelled D-O. And the idea is if I can just do more, then I'll be saved. If I just do more, then God will accept me. I just got to do the right things. But the Christian faith is spelled D-O-N-E. D-O-N-E, done. Jesus Christ finished all the work in his death upon the cross, his resurrection from the grave. And what we need to do is to receive that gift by faith. There's nothing we add. We don't add to what Jesus Christ has already done. What a gift of grace. What a gift of grace that we would be his children of promise. It doesn't mean it's an easy way to live. You can look at verse 29. Uh, but just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. You know, God's people do now face persecution from those who reject this. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Right? The world does not like the free promise of the gospel. I mean, the world's message is do enough, accomplish enough, earn enough, rise up enough. Well, then, then you'll be an acceptable person. But that's not what the gospel says. It says only Jesus Christ is enough. And as we come to him by faith, we are made enough. We are accepted in the Lord. But the, Lord, but the world doesn't like that. 
And the world doesn't like any idea that we would all start as sinners. And there'd be a moral law which we would have all transgressed, all broken God's commands, all of us earning death and condemnation. Right? It doesn't like that message. It doesn't like the idea of walking blamelessly. So there will be persecution and there will be a rejection of the free promise of the gospel. But it's still true. Isaac was the child of promise. Jesus Christ was the child of promise. How do we see that? In his resurrection from the dead. God affirming, I have completed my work. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And what do we know happened? It was finished because he rose from the dead. Sin was atoned for. Sin was paid. Righteousness was gained. And so, so grace is scandalous to the world. It's scandalous to the world. But don't let it be scandalous to you. The world wants to measure acceptability in, 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 by the works of your flesh, by what you do. But grace is freedom. Grace is freedom. Because it shows you've already been accepted through what Jesus Christ has done. So let's live in the, the freedom that the gospel gives us. Get rid of those beliefs that God um, accepts me through my works, but instead look to Jesus Christ, see what he has done, and live in light of what he's done. How about you? Have you received Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your savior? Have you received the promises which are found only in him? If you haven't, accept Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, and know the freedom that comes in having Christ as your Savior. Trust Jesus Christ today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have too often thought that freedom is is found in the things that we do. If just we can accomplish enough, earn enough, lose enough weight, whatever, Father, then we'll be accepted by you. What a hamster wheel of activity that that is, and what a a, a failure it, it leaves us feeling. Father, remind us that freedom comes through grace. It was accomplished all in Jesus Christ. Help us to turn away from the idea that you only accept us when we're good enough and remind us that the promise of your love comes because of what Jesus has done. He is our ultimate son of promise. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.